0: Three mm-hmm. thirty-three. God sent his, his Son.
1: Turn to First Peter. Pick up chapter five. First portion of this chapter, um, Peter directs his comments to the elders which are among these believers. Remember, this letter was written to the strangers who were scattered over a large area. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those are, those are regions, not just cities. So it's a big swath of territory. And so he has a message specifically for uh, the elders. Uh, given that none of y'all are elders, please don't check out. Okay? You as a church need to, one, in my context, know what I'm supposed to be doing. One, so you can recognize it when I'm doing it. And also encourage me when I'm not. That's one context. Another context is that I ain't the last preacher that's ever going to exist. And we have to know as a church what to be looking for and what to train and uh, encourage the next generation. Um, young folks, young men, Lord may I change your plans. He you certainly changed mine. <laughs> Okay? Don't feel like you're so far that God can't get you. <laughs>
0: Alright?
1: So, at least in those two contexts, um, even though you are not uh, elders, it's important to know this stuff. Because sometimes we have conceptions of what it means to be a preacher or to be a pastor or whatever, and we base those on experience or tradition without seeing are they based on Scripture? Right, because if we're doing anything that's not based on Scripture, and we got to pick one, you pick the part that goes with Scripture.
0: All right.
1: So, um, so let's just start with the word, elder. What is that? It's an adjective. Didn't know it was a grammar lesson, did you? It's an adjective. Adjectives describe things. It's not a noun in and of itself. Right? It's a description. Um, What's it describe? Well, literally, surprise, it means older. You're shocked, right? Elder means older. Okay? Now, we have to look at context to see what, it, what it's talking about there. Sometimes, particularly in the Gospels and in the uh, book of Acts, when you see the word elder or elders, it is talking about a specific group of Jews who were part of the Jewish council called the Sanhedrin. Okay. Context will tell you that. If you're reading in Revelation, there's another group of elders. There's 24 of them. All right? So you've got this celestial, you know, heavenly group of elders that's talking about some specific folks in heaven. Okay? Sometimes, it literally just means people who are old. Uh, in Acts, when it's talking about the prophet Joel, of your your young men will um, prophesy, and your old men will have dreams. Or y'all know what I'm talking about. You're going to look at it. Um, it's talking about old men. Literally, it means... Those who are older. And in that context, there's another one where it's talking about sisters, about older ladies. Right? Sometimes it literally means age. Here, it doesn't. Okay? It Okay. is the setting apart of one, a male, um, for the ministry who has demonstrated sufficient maturity and knowledge to be able to lead and teach others. All right. So you're describing them. This one who's been formally set apart um, in the process they call that of ordaining, and that just means to to set down, to put that in the in that roller place, and that's done by other elders. Um, you can see the pattern there of the the laying on hands and praying um, for them to set them into that that role. And so it's not. Not and if you read this passage and you read it just by thinking in terms of age, you'll get very confused. But if you want an example of an elder who was also young in age, you go look at First uh, Timothy. Paul writing to Timothy in First Timothy chapter uh, three and verse six. This is in the qualifications of a bishop, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. 1 Timothy 3 and 6 says, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Okay? So, to qualify to be an elder, you cannot be a novice, one who is inexperienced or immature, not sufficiently grounded. But that does not automatically equate to age, because if you jump over to the next chapter, 4 and 12, Paul's writing, he says, let no man despise thy youth. Timothy was a younger feller. He had been uh, trained and under the tutelage, or however you want to describe it, the mentorship of the Apostle Paul, and um, labored with him for a time, and then it gets to a time when the Lord, not the Lord, went through Paul, sent Timothy to be on his own. And, um, and he was ministering at the church at Ephesus. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou... An example to the believers of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and in purity. Okay, so Timothy was an elder. He has been set apart in a way that in his role he is now different than how he was before. Okay. And that, that term that we're describing those who are set in that role as being elder, older. Alright, so it's it's a recognition of the maturity of. And the role. Now, what's the difference between being an elder and a bishop? Because that's what it said there in First Timothy three. But these are the qualifications of a bishop. So, what's a bishop? The bishop. The Greek word is a combination. Two words. One means over, and the other means a watch. You know, you ever know, post a watch on the guard, you know, guard wall. Guarding the wall, a watch or a sentry. To watch over, maybe that makes more sense, or overwatch. No, not the sense. Doesn't make sense. Okay. So, the role of a bishop is to look over and to care for the flock that they've been put among. Okay? Over the particular flock that they are over. I am not over. The church is down the road. I'm not. That's right. Let's so go to Acts chapter 20. This is um, the Apostle Paul who's saying goodbye to the uh, elders which are at Ephesus. Ephesus is one city, but you've got multiple elders there. He's never going to see them again. That's what he's um, confident of. And so he's saying his last goodbye before he goes down to Jerusalem and then goes to be arrested eventually in Rome years down the road. So in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, these are his final messages. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Same word, bishops, overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. That's their role. That's their... Um, job is to be overseers, to feed the church, which the Lord has put them on, um, all those flock which he's put them over, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Okay? Now there's another term that we'll use, um, and you'll use that more frequently, and that's the term of pastor. The word pastor only appears in the New Testament once. At least that I could find. That's in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And this is talking about the different um, roles that Jesus had given through the Holy Ghost. He says he gave some apostles. You know, to be an apostle, you were an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus Christ. I don't believe there are any apostles still among us. I think Paul was the last one. gave some prophets time of the prophets um, occurred in the early church. Um, You have Agabus who prophesied there was going to be a great dearth among the land. Um, The Lord could use those prophecies both to establish that this one is is working for me. You can see that. And sometimes He'd use it to protect His people, to give them information they needed to know in advance. Um, I don't think there is a great need now with the full written word have prophets among us. God is God. He could send a prophet if He chose to. But if it contradicts with Scripture, you know He's not a prophet from the Lord. And if it's consistent with Scripture, what was the need of sending Him? So, He can. I'll give God that. But I don't think prophets are primarily used anymore. I think the, the Scripture is complete. There's nothing left to be added but the Lord to return. And some evangelists... And some pastors and teachers.
0: Right?
1: So an evangelist, um, Paul is you know your quintessential evangelist, one who goes and spreads the gospel. Going to places where it hasn't been heard. He's going. He's teaching. You can think of this as one who's uh, not um, rooted at any particular place. That's that's the role of evangel. He he is the the preacher. He's preaching, but he's going around. He's going and telling the good news wherever he can. All right? And some pastors and teachers, folks will try to break that apart, and, and you may read it that way. But look at the pattern: some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists. I'll describe one group. And the other, you got this last sum: some pastors and teachers. I think that's a description of what the bishop is to do. The overseer it is a combination of pastoring. Pastor just means a shepherd. Okay, that's literally all it is: is a shepherd and teacher you are to lead the flock and you are to teach the flock right shepherd is supposed to set the direction where the flock's going to lead them to the good pastures to lead them to the still waters all those things and they're following the example of the great high shepherd that's it jesus christ he's the one he is the perfect shepherd and so in all that they're doing they're trying to follow his pattern not their own style but in that there's more than just that there's also a teaching element all right? So when I think of an overseer, I think of these two aspects of it. Of what is a bishop to do? What is an overseer to do? He is to pastor like a shepherd, gently leading the young and the old, the immature and the mature, and teaching all of them. All right. And you can see that um, as it goes on for the reason. Why Why did God give these roles? All right. Verse 12 says, For the perfecting of the saints. Can I make you sinless and perfect? No. Don't charge me with that. So don't read that verse that way. Can I help you become more mature? Yes. Yes. That's what it means here. To be complete, to be mature, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Y'all ever use that word ministry and think it's like something way far off and high on a pedestal? You know what ministry means? Serve for the work of serving. Okay? Do y'all have a work to serve? Yes. You do. Do sometimes you need your pastor to help you point out? Here's your work to be serving. Go serve. Yeah. Okay? For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, we don't use that word edify outside of this building, but it means to build up. We have this body here, the local church is described as the body of Christ. He's the head, and we are all various members of it. we got different roles and jobs and gifts that He's given to us, but we're all working towards the same thing, and that is serving Him, marching design together. And so we are being built up together. That's why He's given this role, so we can be built up and stronger. How long? How long do we do this? Till we all come in the unity of the faith, till we all understand it perfectly? Well, no, yeah. but That's where we're going to get to. But we're not going to get to it in this life. right? This is going to be a continuing journey all the way until we all have a perfect understanding of the faith, the combined knowledge and doctrine of truth of Jesus Christ. That's something we'll get in heaven. That's, that's where we'll get. Um, and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we are all made in the image of God perfectly, the image of his Son, that's when it stops. We won't achieve that here, okay? We are always a work in progress, okay. But we do have to progress. We do have to grow. We do have to learn more. And if we don't, verse 14 says, that we henceforth, that means at one point we were, that we henceforth be no more children, elder, younger, right? So the one who is elder should not be a child in this spiritual sense of maturity that they don't be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You should not have an elder among you who is allowing Doctrine to sway back and forth, depending on their mood or who they're around. Right, they're, one of their jobs is to kind of be a ballast. You know, the job of a ballast in a boat kind of just keeps the weight in the bottom so it doesn't tip over. Right? It's not exciting to be a ballast, all right, but you're necessary, all right. And so it's necessary for y'all to grow in these knowledge, right, Patrick? Good that we grow, um, that we be no more children tossed through, to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. If we as a church are so weak that one person can come in here and teach something that's wrong and we just be fully persuaded by it, y'all, that's a problem. That's right? right? That's, We've got atrophy of our muscles if we're not strong enough to be able to defend that, if we're not strong enough in our knowledge to be able to recognize error and then not follow after it. Right? But... Speaking the truth in love. Now, I often use that in the context of y'all. Speak truth in love to each other. But in the closest sense of this context, this is talking about those who are given those roles and gifts that our job is to speak truth in love to you so that as a body we all grow up together that we may grow up into Him in all things which is the head, even Christ, right? It's all pointing to Christ, right? All things. From whom the whole body fitly joineth together "...and compacted by every joint, by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love." That's a lot of words, but here's your word picture. It's saying that our church, like a body, it's like having... Well, you could be an arm bone, and you can be an upper arm bone. I don't know the medical terms. But if you just got those two, and you ain't got that joint in between, is that going to work too well? And y'all got arthritis... Right? The little uh, squishy part that's supposed to be in your bones, it goes away. It hurts when those things move, right? So each of us in our, in our role of the church, we're like a different part, whether you're a hand or you're a wrist bone or whether you're a cartilage, I don't know, You know, take it however you want. But it all works together to work in a way that pleases Christ. All right? Here's, a, here's a, a silly example. Lunch. We like lunch. Right? Lunch works best when we all bring lunch, right? If you have one person, if Brother Jerry brings a dish and nobody else, are we going to have a very good lunch? Right. Brother Jerry is not the only one responsible for lunch. We are all the body together. We're all contributing. Well, I'm not as good as cooking, Brother Jerry. Maybe his jello salad is better than my jello salad, and I'm just not going to cook, right? It doesn't matter, right? If he's bringing jealous out, well, maybe I won't. Or maybe you can have my jealous salad, too, so you can appreciate how good his is. It doesn't matter. But the point being, it's a silly thing, but it's it's true, and it's kind of a microcosm of In that, we all pool our resources, our talents, our time, and we have this spread that none of you would want to go through by yourself and create, right? It's too much for one person, Right? Uh, I saw on Facebook the, the idea that the church is not like a cruise ship, right? Where most of the folks are there um, laying in the chairs and you got a few people bussing around making sure everything works, right? That's not, that's not the image for the church. The church is more like the battleship. All hands on deck, right? You've all got your job, you're all running around. Is it the same job? No. no? If it were, it really wouldn't work, right? If you're all manning the boilers and throwing in the coal and nobody's steering the thing, which... Captain, hey, that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? And nobody's on the guns or whatever. Mopping the deck. Everybody's
0: gunning.
1: Right, right? If nobody's mopping the deck, is, is mopping the deck important? Yeah, important for that ship. Is this a silly illustration? Yeah. But if it helps you remember this idea that we are all working together and this is the role that the Lord has given to elders is to push you in that direction. That's important for you to recognize because if they're leading you in any other direction, you need to be cautious. Okay. All right. So, go back to First Peter chapter five. We'll read verse one. This is uh, this is uh, this is old brother Peter, right? We know brother Peter. We've seen him through the Gospels. We've seen him through Acts. Sometimes he's a real good example of what to do. Sometimes he ain't. I find him very familiar,
0: <laughs>
1: right? Sometimes we do what we ought to do, and sometimes, even when we're trying to do right, we set a real bad example. So Peter writes here, "...the elders which are among you, I exhort." Now he could have said, I command. He had apostolic authority. That's a big word. As an apostle, often he was sent to speak for God. But even in that scenario, rather than bringing down the hammer, he's given an example of I am begging, I'm entreating, I'm asking, I'm calling on you to do something. "...I exhort, and I, who am also an elder..." So is an apostle an elder? Yes. All right, the elder is that general term and they could have those different roles whether it was an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or the bishop role, the pastor and teacher, the one who's in a you know, fixed location. Who am also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ. That's his apostolic authority. That is as an apostle. He saw the witness of the suffering of Christ and he saw him resurrected. He said, like, I saw him die and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So, I'm an elder, I'm an apostle, I'm also a child of God, right? All of you can claim and say, I am going to be a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. You're a co-participant in that, right? I don't have any bigger share than you do, and you don't have any smaller share than anybody else, right? Christ's work secured it and He gives it to each of His children. Okay? So I'm, He says, "You know, by, by who I am, I'm begging you, as an apostle, as a child of God, as an elder, I'm asking you, verse 2, what? Feed the flock of God which is among you. Alright? What's your focus? The flock that He gave. You to be an overseer of. Feed them. Okay? Now, old brother Peter, before Jesus was taken away, he had his sword. Right? He was ready to fight. He was ready to go down in a blaze of glory. But after Jesus said, no, don't fight, and everybody ran, then he's kind of slinking along. Right? It's one thing to kind of feel like, alright, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get some glory. It's another to just have to be off on the side and then own him and I may get in trouble too and it's not going to be any battle. I just have to meekly take it. What? I'm reading into Peter's motivation a little bit so give me a grain of salt there. But he was ready to die for him. He said he was going to die for him. And then it didn't go the way that he thought it would look like. Then he denied him. I don't know him. And not only do I not know him, I'm going to say it over again. I don't know him. And the last time I'm going to cuss at you. I don't know him. Like a sailor. and you may think man how's the Lord ever going to use that guy again and you may think I've done some things I did something this week right you may be thinking that Lord can't use me anymore and yet you see at the end of John after the Lord is resurrected he's met them by the the seas because Peter he's gone fishing Right? He's going back to what he knows, to what he's comfortable with. And then he's not being a fisher of men, which is what he was called to do. And Jesus in John 21 and 15 says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Do you love me more? That's a question Jesus can ask each of us. Do you love me more than these? Whatever that these is, in your life. Do you love me more than your family? Do you love me more than your job? Do you love me more than your wealth? More than your 401k? More than whatever it is. More than uh, toys and sports and whatever. Whatever that thing that we put as an idol in our life. Jesus can honestly sit down and say. Do you love me more than these? Something we should ask ourselves. Do I love Jesus more than these? Yeah. All right. He answers, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And he responds, Feed my lambs, the little ones. The Lord said he had, he had sheep, he had a flock, he had his people. Feed the little ones. Feed them. Then he asked him again, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? He says, yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Feed my sheep. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? There's a nice pattern there between the three denials and three questions. Do you love me? Lovest thou me? He said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Now we could go on and side there about prayer. You can talk to the Lord. The Lord already knows what... What, what you need to say, right? He already knows. You're not giving him information. But he's also told you to pray, right? So here he's asking him a question. He expects an answer. So be obedient. Pray to your Lord. Commune with your Lord. It's for your good, not for his information. So feed my sheep three times. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Okay? Obviously, it is very, very important to the Lord that Peter get this message. And what is Peter passing along as he's writing this letter to these elders that are spread out across this whole region? I'm begging you, I'm asking you, I'm beseeching you, feed the sheep which are among you, which you have oversight over. All right? Well, that's some poetic language. My job is not to go out here on Sunday afternoon and make sure that y'all have natural food, it's not. That's not what he's saying here when it says, feed my sheep. And y'all all all have been sitting in church long enough to know that. But let's establish why. Go back to Matthew 4.4. Jesus has been baptized. He has gone out into the wilderness. He has spent 40 days and 40 nights with neither food nor water. Do not try that diet. You saw the other day, I think I shared with you, saw some chucklehead in Africa tried it. Guess what happened? He died, right? To be sustained without forty days and without 40, wa- forty days without food or water is a miracle. Don't tempt the Lord. Okay. But as a man and human form, we know that the Lord got tired. We know that he got hungry. So imagine that body that the Lord had prepared for him being as weak as possible. The Lord was sustaining him; he wasn't dying, but he was weak. And after this, the angels are going to come and minister to him. And what does Satan tempt him with? Says, well, if you're really the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. All right. If you or I had gone forty days without eating, and we had the ability to make bread, what do you think we would have done? Probably thirty days ago.
0: <laughs> make bread.
1: But what is the answer? He answered and said, "It is written." goes to Scripture. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, you may be saying, What? How does that answer the question? He's quoting from Deuteronomy. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses is speaking. Deuteronomy um, is a recap book. It's at the end of Moses' uh, life and tenure as leader. They've wandered through the desert. It's about time for it to pass the baton off to Joshua to go into the land. and so he is going to recap what is happening. He's given kind of his final message, his final um, sermon, if you will, to this people, this great people that the Lord has delivered out of Egypt, this great people who have disobeyed God, and so for 40 years they've had to wander in the desert. And so these are his final words unto him. So in verse, uh, We'll start in verse 1 of chapter 8. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers." And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. Why did he do it? To humble thee, and to prove thee, to test thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. No one had ever seen manna before. Neither did thy fathers know. No one of their history had ever been fed manna before. Why did he do it? That he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. He was teaching a lesson. That the manna that came at the Word of God, at the command of God, it came every day for that whole time that they were out there, They were being sustained by Him, by His Word. That's how important His Word is. That was what was being taught. That man doth not live by natural bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. Go to Jeremiah chapter 3. We're fast-forwarding, of course, over the course of uh, all of the the nation of Israel. It's gone into captivity. Fast-forwarding another hundred-something years until Judah's ready to go into captivity. And Jeremiah is that prophet there who's going to witness it all. Jeremiah chapter 3 and in verse uh, 15. Let's start in verse 14 to begin the sentence. It says, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, For I am married unto you, and I will take you of a city, one of you of a city, and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. He's talking about the promise of being returned back after the captivity they're about to go into. It's going to be a small number of them come out. But here's the promise that he gives: And I will give you pastors, shepherds. According to mine heart, they had had pastors and leaders before, but they were unfaithful. They took of the flock. They didn't feed. They didn't bind up that which was broken. They didn't chase after that which was lost. He says, I'm going to give you pastors after my own heart, which shall feed you... Feed you what? With knowledge and understanding. Now, is this from their own knowledge? you just going to be wise guys in the world? Boys, sit. No. It's going to be knowledge and understanding from the Word. From the Word of God. They're going to teach from the Word of God. Now that knowledge um, that knowledge means information, intelligence, Um, understanding means to be circumspect, to be prudent, to guide one wittingly. So you've got one who's full of awareness and who's deliberately leading. That's the idea of what the role of the pastor is. To lead along and to teach and to impart knowledge and understanding to the flock, All right. So, as one who is coming to be fed, should you? How should you consider that? What value should you ascribe to both coming and sitting under the sound of preaching and time in your work, at time in the word at home? Go to Job chapter twenty-three. Job chapter twenty-three. And verse twelve. Now this is this is a man who's lost it all, right? His health, his wealth, all ten of his children are dead. Job twenty three and verse twelve. Second portion of that says I have esteemed or held in value. Deemed within my assessment of their value. I have esteemed the words of His mouth, God's mouth, more than my necessary food. Is it necessary for you to eat food? Carnal food? Yes, if you don't, you die. And almost everything we do, whether we think about it or not, is to the end of feeding our bellies. Why do you ultimately have a job? So you can buy food and you can eat one more day. Now we're so wealthy that that one more day just seems really far away most times. Right? But in proportion to value as a sheep, as one who's been told that man does not live by that carnal bread alone, those are Jesus' words, right? Quoting from where he told Moses to say that back in Deuteronomy. We should value the Word of God higher than that are natural food. Any of y'all get grumpy if you go about 45 minutes past time when it's supposed to eat? Mm-hmm. I do. My blood sugar goes, whoo, my attitude goes, <laughs> because this body requires pretty consistent input. Right? How consistent are you in seeking the more valuable food of God's Word? I'll give you a hint. One hour, once a week, is starvation rations. Okay? It's not enough. When you're starving, do you grow? No. What happens? Your body consumes yourself. Right? You get weaker and weaker and weaker rather than plumping up with strength. Can you go and exercise those muscles? I mean, you can take this illustration too far. But the idea is that you got to have the input Right? Your spiritual input. Desiring that which is good. Now, there's a lot of good things out there. You can read devotions. You can read other things that have kind of a a religious spin on it. And those are fine, but they're not best. This is best. This is the strongest, most pure, unadulterated. It's not uh, messed up by anything man does. It's there. Go eat there first. Okay? I do my best to try and present this as close as I can, but guess what? I can make mistakes. Y'all know it and I know it. Which is why you need to be in this as well. So you're not carried about by a wind of doctrine, right? being rooted and grounded. It's very important for you and I to be in the Word daily. Right? If it's more valuable than your necessary food, how often do y'all eat? we may only eat once a day. Hopefully when you feel better, eat more than that. But most of y'all eat at least three times a day and then you may have a snack or two in between. Right, boys? Right. This is more valuable than your necessary food. Go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And I want to just read one little section starting in verse 97. Now at this time, you know David. All they had was was the law. They didn't even have the rest of the picture. They didn't get to see Jesus in His beauty come into the world and have that mystery revealed through the apostles of what great things He's done. So on He's writing of how I love Thy law. That was what they had. It was the Word of God, but He loved it. Oh how I love Thy law! It is the meditate my meditation all the day, right? I'm thinking about it throughout the day. Thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. Is there a practical benefit to knowing the commandments and the the word of the Lord? Yes! You've got access to the most wisdom, purest form, unadulterated in the universe! Right? It is a written word from God Himself. His ways and thoughts are higher than you. Will we understand it all? No! But can you find a teacher that's better? No! Right? God sends the Holy Spirit to be your teacher to teach you about His Word. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. So, He's not putting such value in what men think, but rather the testimonies of the Word, of His, the Word of His God. I understand. More than the ancients. Well, What about the old folks? how they do it? You know, they, they have a lot of knowledge. They have a lot of wisdom. Surely they knew the best way. I'm not even bound to that because I keep thy precepts. I know thy word. You've got the same access to the information they do. And in fact, you've got more access because you have the rest of the story. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. So knowing thy word then results in a change in your behavior. I'm keeping my feet from going off that path because I want to keep thy word. What I've understood thus far, let me hold to it. And it keeps us out of, out of a lot of trouble. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. Verse 103, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How sweet sweeter than honey honey's pretty sweet so it's more valuable than your necessary food and it's sweeter than honey and yet as sheep we look at it like it's a burden like it's a chore like it's a drudgery right nobody really enjoys scrubbing toilets oh David man <laughs> He'll do it gladly. It's something you got to do, right? It's generally a benefit for everybody in the household, but one really enjoys it, right? And yet sometimes that's how we treat coming to the Word. It's good for you, but not only that, it's sweet. It's 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 wonderful. I don't know how I can tell it to you any better other than you got to go and eat it yourself. I can't eat it for you, right? And so when we come here. My best teaching is when I'm just giving you the Word and trying to put it in terms that you can understand and retain it. Hopefully apply it. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way even if that false way was the way that I originally wanted to go. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Okay? So as a Sheep, you should come to the church expecting to be fed. And not just a puff motivational speak that gives you a pat on the back and says, oh, y'all are really good people and you're going to be alright. Give you the Word. Give you something to chew on. Go back to Acts chapter 20 and read just a little bit more of that context as he's saying goodbye to these elders you pick up in, in verse 25 he says now behold I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God this is a reference back to the Old Testament where the watchman rule the man on the wall if he's a watch he sees the danger coming he gives the alarm and the people ignore him well, they're going to die. He's not in trouble for it. If he sees the danger coming and he doesn't open his yap and they die, they're still going to die, but their blood is on his head. He's responsible. His job is to give the alarm, to give the call, to give the sound. So to declare, declare unto you all the counsel of God. He says, I've done that. That's why I'm pure from the blood of all men. So am I going to preach some things that are going to hurt your feelings? Yes. Am I going to make preach something that may make you angry at me? Yes. Probably. I'm going to try and do it as loving as possible way whenever that occurs. But understand that I'm bound to. That's right. At the end of the day, I have to report to God and say, did you declare the whole counsel to this people? Did you see a danger? And for fear of offending somebody or fear of hurting somebody, fears, did you clam up? If you did, he holds me to task for that. Okay. that's when the next verse comes on declare unto you the whole counsel of God take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God with what? with the whole counsel of God which he hath purchased with his own blood does he love them? absolutely at a very high price he has purchased you for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. There, there will be those who enter into the church and cause great damage. And listen to this 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. That's got to be hard to be sitting there among this group of elders and know that among you sitting here, among your own selves... Some of y'all are going to get lifted up in pride, start teaching something different, so that you can start having your own little following and draw away. And that's what, that's what a, a faction is. is that some preacher gets in pride and says, I know better than everybody else, and this is a different thing, it's a new thing, you come follow me and ignore all those other folks. Right? Is he pointing you to Christ? No, he's pointing you to himself. you got to be aware of that. You've got to be on guard for that. And as an elder, I have to be on guard for that. So I can teach you the whole counsel of God so that when you see it, you can be on guard. Okay? Verse 31, Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up. Right? I'm commending you to God. We're putting you in God's hands and to the Word of His grace. Right? You need that Word, and that Word can build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. All right? Let's go back to 1 Peter. And let's look at the rest of these instructions that he's given, these uh, exhortations, the call. Feed the flock of God which is among you. And what I want you to do is put your finger over in First Timothy chapter 3 and that's qualifications of the bishop and we're going to flip back and forth and see how these do this shows back up in what the qualification was on the front end. Because they need to be enabled, be ready to fulfill these jobs. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Go back to the qualifications. Three. There it is. Verse 2. So if you're to feed the flock, one of the qualifications you must be apt to teach. Pastor and teacher, right? Feed the flock, feed them the word. You need to be able to teach them. Teach them in knowledge and understanding. So we're looking to see if the Lord is raising up a new minister among us. They need to be apt to teach because their job is to feed the sheep. Feed them the Word. So they can grow and the body can be built up. Okay? Taking oversight thereof. That sounds a lot like overseer, right? Taking oversight. Going back... Um, come on, verses 4 and 5. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God. Husband of one wife, having faithful children. These are markers that you use to look into a man and see, does he have, as the Lord blessed him already, with the skills of how to manage that household? Because if he's not doing that and ruling that well, how are you going to do it much, much harder when you've got the flock who are not minors (laughs) Right? These are adults. And you know, one who rules well his own house because his job is going to be to take care of the church. Right? He has to have the oversight, so you need to have one who is qualified to do that. Because it is much, much harder to have oversight and care for the church than it is to care for your young children and your spouse. Okay? Flipping back. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, that church, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint. We're going to have couplets here. I've right? got two ideas. Taking the oversight thereof. All right, Here's the first couplet. Not by constraint, but willingly. All right? The negative and the positive. Not by constraint. All right, What's it mean um, by constraint? It means not by force. And you can look at this two ways. You can look out of you as a church shouldn't force somebody into the job that the Lord's not calling. Or mom and daddy shouldn't force somebody into the job that the Lord's not calling. I shouldn't force myself into the job that the Lord's not calling. Not by constraint, not by force, but willingly. Right? So it shouldn't be outside people influencing the decision. It should be the Lord and uh, that individual. And that's And that can be an awkward process. Give grace as that plays out. Um, I was looking for an excuse not to be a preacher for about a year. Right? I was looking for that maybe I'm just going about this on my own and the Lord doesn't really want me to do this and so I'm gonna, I'm, He's going to give me an out. And I was looking for the exit sign. And it never came. Right? So not by constraint, not by force. You shouldn't be forcing, hey, you should be over us. Right? But rather, be willingly, voluntarily. And so if you go back to... Timothy 3, and it starts off in verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. It starts from that man being voluntary, being willing to step into that role, not being forced in. Um, and the next couplet deals a lot with your motivation. Not for fil- filthy lucre. Not because this is just a job. Right? I can't do anything else, so I might as well be a preacher. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that third son in the feudal system who's not going to get any land and he's not going to go into the military, well, let's make him clergy. Right? right, That's a bad reason. Not for filthy lucre. That's for an ignoble reason. If you're seeking money and wealth, well, you probably won't wind up among the old Baptists anyway, but um, that's, a, that's a sorry motivation. That's going to lead to error. That's going to lead to trouble because if that's your motivation, you'll teach to make sure that motivation plays out. And you can see that happening in mega churches I'm not saying all the pastors out there have that but you know the ones they typically have TV shows and numbers that are going to tell you if you plant this seed to me um, then your problems will go away not willingly uh, not sorry not by constraint but willingly not for filthy lucre all right so what's the companion there for that in the qualifications uh, over there in verse three not greedy of filthy lucre and not covetous. Right? Two of those, those motivations is that you're not pursuing pecuniary gain, money, and you're not covetous. You're not going to have a hard time if someone else has more stuff. Right? Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Right? What's a ready mind? Ready mind, um, Strong's give a definition of, of, of alacrity. I didn't know what that meant. Um, definition for alacrity was brisk, cheerful readiness. I like that. A willing mind. A brisk cheerful readiness. Well, if you go back to your qualifications over there in verse 2. You got the husband and one wife vigilant, sober. Vigilant and sober. You've got one who's clear-headed, who's alert, and who's ready to do the job. I want someone who's on the watchman on the wall who is vigilant, who is brisk, who is ready, with a ready mind, not Dragging yourself out. Oh, woe is me. We're going to get through it. That's not encouraging to you. Um, But of a ready mind. Neither being lords over God's heritage. Who is God's heritage? His sheep. The ones that He bought, He paid for. He did not establish pastors and and overseers and bishops to be Little many dictators. Right? To put them into subjection. That's that is not at all. And in fact, if you go back to Matthew twenty, Jesus would use that same word when he's teaching the disciples about what it means to be a leader in the church. Matthew 20. And we'll just start in verse 25. Matthew 20 and 25. This is when two of them asked, Hey, Lord, can we sit on your right hand and left hand? And the others found out and they got really upset because over and over and over again they're trying to figure out who's going to be the greatest among us? <laughs> Guess what? It's Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus called them unto him, in verse 25, and says, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles, the unbelievers, right, they exercise dominion over them. all right. So over the people, the princes, they've got this rule. All right? And they exercise great authority upon them. But... It shall not be so among you, among the church. And whoever, whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And we've talked about a lot of different titles um, about bishops and pastors and teachers and elders. What about ministers? You know, in our vernacular day, oh, this is this man is a minister. That's fine. But it really means servant. Alright, we, we kind of put this up on a pedestal. This is the minister. This is the servant. Right? That's the role. All right? And we need to remember that. I need to remember that. My role is to serve you for my master's sake. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Came not to be served, but to serve. And to give himself a life, give his life a ransom for many. Who's is many? His sheep, His lamb, His little people, the precious ones that He loves. Alright? So not a lord over His people. So where do you see that in the qualifications? Uh, Down in verse 3, no striker, not a brawler. I shouldn't have to come up here with a stick to get you to do what I want you to do. Right? That's not the pattern. It's not beat you into submission, whether verbally or physically, right? This is not... you You can see cults that, that work that way. Are you in charge? Are we a cult? No, we're not a cult. All right? Everything we do points back to God and Scripture, and everything should be based on that. A cult says, I'm the leader and you do what I say because I say what I say and you can't disagree and if you disagree, there's going to be problems. Right? You can disagree with me, but you need to show me in Scripture where I'm wrong. Right? This is the authority that we hold above anything else. All right? So, you should not be a striker, one who's going to go and pick a fight, not a brawler, one who enjoys it. Um, if that's the temperament, that's not one who needs to be put into the role. Right? It will cause great damage to the church. Right? Alright. Ready mind. Neither being lords over God's heritage. So what's the rest of that couplet? Not being lords or, or dictators, but being in samples to the flock. and An sample that means a, a pattern. We use the word example. They're, they're pretty close. But a pattern to follow. Now, I cannot be to you, for you, the pattern of Jesus. I can't. He's perfect. He's God. He's sinless. But I can give you a pattern of a sinner trying to practice what I preach. Will I fail? Yes. If you have an expectation on me that I won't fail, you'll be disappointed. (laughs) But even when I fail, I should still be a pattern of showing what you do when you fail. Of confessing that fault and repenting from it. Okay, is this a hard role? Y'all. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Husbands and fathers, you have a similar role within your own families. Being an example to the flock. And this is kind of the catch-all for all the other qualifications a bishop must be blameless, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, not given to wine, patient, not a novice, lifts this bit up with pride, he fall in the condemnation of the devil. All right, so all those husband of one wife, right? Not, not a polygamist, not someone who's running around, these are all the aspects that go into how do you live out that example. Well, it's a 24-hour thing. Won't do it perfectly, but still, that's part of the role. Is that as a an elder and as a pastor and a bishop within the church, you're supposed to be the one they can look to with their natural eye and say, "This is what it's supposed to look like. This is what they're trying to achieve," while giving them grace to still recognize their sinners. Right? Don't put me on the pedestal or any other preacher on a pedestal that they they've they're that they're the perfect mark. Right? It's all as are they pointing. To Christ, As long as they are, follow it. If they're pointing to themselves or anything else, don't. Don't be swayed by that wind of doctrine. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, voluntarily, not for filthy lucre, not because you want to have gain of power or money, but of a ready mind. Just cheerful, brisky, not being a lord over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock, to set that pattern for the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, when I think about this crown of glory, I, I think of this in context of 2 Timothy 4. start in verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And if it just stopped there, I'd probably be discouraged. Because I can't can't compete with what the Apostle Paul, the life that he lived.
0: Right?
1: And not to me only, but unto all them also. That love is appearing. What's this crown of righteousness? What's the pinnacle of life? It's eternal life. Eventually we'll have glorified, perfect bodies. We can perfectly praise the Lord forever. That's the crown of righteousness. Now, when it talks about the elders, the 24 who've got crowns of gold, and those are casting them down before the feet... That's fine, the Lord can do that, but I don't think in these contexts we're worried about pieces of metal sitting on our head. What we're going to receive at the end, that crown of glory, that doesn't fade away, because everything else here does fade away, is the eternal life itself. And to be with the Lord and to know the Lord. And guess what? That's enough motivation for any minister or elder or any child of God to faithfully serve, you've got gratitude and something to look forward to, something to rejoice in. Verse five says, "Likewise, likewise ye younger, submit yourselves under the elder." Okay, this is not just talking about young people; it's talking about. The members of the church have not been set apart into that role designated as elder. All right? Why are you submitting? Because they're feeding the Word of God to you. You are making sure as you're hearing and listening that what they're saying matches up to the Word of God. So really you're submitting to God as they're saying, here's what God says. Okay, And you can see that repeated over in Hebrews about... Um, submitting to those that are ruling over you because they watch for your souls, because one day they've got to give an account. All right? Give a century report. Did you faithfully teach? Did you faithfully preach the whole counsel of God? And so, for your benefit, when one's telling you, hey, here's danger, listen! <laughs> and heed it. All right? Somebody says, hey, there's a mine right in front of you. Perhaps you ought to move a different direction. Would you think very highly of yourself if you just kept walking forward and blew your leg off? Yeah. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we're convinced that we know better than really what God says in His Word. And so, as you hear things from the Word that convict you, and you realize these are things that I should lay down or this is the direction I should go or whatever it is. Apply to your situation. Do it. The difference between the wise man and the foolish man that Jesus gave who built their houses. They both built houses, but one was a hearer only of the Word and his house was built on sand. The other was the doer of the Word of applying what was teached and that was what was built on the rock. So, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may in due, may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. And we won't try to unpack the rest of that chapter today. But I hope... One, that you didn't check out. <laughs> and two, that you're thinking in terms of not only what is Brother Jonathan's job and role? And as he does certain things that may not make as much sense to you before, why? But two, also knowing how you can be an encouragement to me and looking for the next generation of preachers and teachers and... Um, and how you can consider and approach as you come to the church. It's not as a passive participant. Yes, in this context, you're having the Word fed. But you got to come ready to eat. Recognizing that's important. Because more important that this portion of the day is more important than the next hour we're eating natural food. If I go preach for another hour, y'all stunk, so you're going to start getting grumbly. <laughs> You're really going to be wanting some natural food. But if that's the hunger and desire and the perspective we can have as we come in, maybe we'll get more out of it. But then also that if we're here as one body, we've all got gifts to give. All talents, all pooling together, working together to accomplish many things, but ultimately about the service of the Lord. We can get distracted on many different tangents, right? But if we're all at one mind and in one accord and chasing after the Lord with all our heart, man, that's a sweet time. That's a beautiful thing. That's a precious miracle. That doesn't just happen out in the world. So I thank you all for your time and good attention.